listening to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Welcome to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. I live, work, and love beer here in D.C. During my time in culinary school, I gained an appreciation for good beer. I continued my studies in beer at grad school at NYU. Since then, I have been a beer director, beer bar general manager, and I get to continue to explore the beer world with all of you wonderful listeners. Every week, I will have a different guest from different facets of the beer world, from brewers, importers, bartenders, educators, to help us explore this fascinating and dynamic world. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So previously on Beer Me, we have kind of skimmed the surface on cask beer or real ale. Uh, But today we are going to do a deep dive uh, with Dan Kopman. He is the CEO of Heavy Seas. This is a brewery uh, in Baltimore, Maryland. Some of you may also be familiar with the taproom in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, they have one of the largest cask programs uh, in the U.S. And as former general manager at Birch and Barley Church Key, I was very familiar uh, with their cask ales. Uh, so, Dan, thank you so much for coming in and speaking with us on uh, Monday morning. Thanks for uh, inviting me in. So, you are uh, an excellent person to talk about cask beer because uh your earlier days in the beer world you had a lot of experience with that you want to kind of fill in uh your background a little bit oh i started as a trainee at young's brewery in london in 1983 uh, just right out of university so you know that was a, a brewery making about 200,000 250,000 u.s barrels almost all of that was cask beer now, for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with cask beer, this is not a style of beer. This is a process. Correct. Both in the production, uh, in the service, and in the fermentation. Uh, so can you walk people through you know, what makes a beer cask or real? Fundamentally, it's the secondary fermentation mm-hmm. is going to be done in the actual vessel that the beer is going to be disp- dispensed from, otherwise known as a cask. And so as opposed to the beer going through its final fermentation, sometimes referred to as conditioning, um, where there's a little bit of residual sugar left, the yeast is still present, um, and there's no, uh, whether it's in a tank or in a cask, the CO2 that's being produced is no longer going to escape because it's an enclosed vessel at that point. And so the the CO2 that's produced by that final fermentation, that secondary fermentation, is or that conditioning, conditioning would refer to the fizz, essentially, mm-hmm. that is in, in any beer. Um, that comes from a secondary fermentation that happens in the cask, as opposed to that fermentation being completed, the whole process of fermentation, primary and secondary, being completed in a tank. So from a brewer standpoint, it's quite simple. There is what I'd call brewery conditioned beer, mm-hmm. meaning beer that's fully, um, fully fermented, fully conditioned in the brewery and then kegged under pressure uh, and then dispensed under pressure versus cast beer, which is the, the brewing, the wort production, the primary fermentation that's done in the brewery, but that secondary fermentation happens in the cask where that cask is resting in the brewery 
whether that cask is on still uh, in a pub. So that's essentially the difference between the two. Brewery conditioned, cask conditioned. That's probably the simplest way. Now the service uh, and the storage of cask is really, really important. Right. Um, you know, it, cask has that bad rap that people say like, oh, it's flat and it's warm. Uh, it shouldn't be either of those things. It shouldn't. It should, should also be bright if you're <laughs> drinking the beer in Britain and if you're a traditionally trained brewer like say myself so I have a hard time with cloudy cask conditioned beer even though I know that's a perfectly acceptable um, way of serving cask beer here in the US or or any beer for that matter now so it's it it's um the the main reason that it's a challenge and the reason that it has recently declined in sales both in the UK and and it's been always a challenge here in the US is that the beer is still fermenting in that cask which means that you have to control for time and for temperature and also movement Um, so if you think about beer going through a secondary fermentation in a brewery in a tank we can control that temperature we can control everything Mm -hmm. and so therefore there's very very few losses so it's it's a very Brewery conditioned beer, irrespective of whether that's a light lager or a craft beer, is easier to produce from that standpoint. You don't have to worry about the beer once it's left the brewery, generally speaking. Cast beer, at Young's we had brewers in all facets of the production process, including a brewer that visited all the pubs and maintained the quality of the beer in the pubs either themselves or training, um, training sellermen to do that. So it's, that's the challenge for, for, for cask conditioned beer. So I want to walk the listeners through a little bit about the care mm-hmm. and the proper service really quickly as right. far as cask beer goes. So, you know, as you said, you don't want it, ideally you don't want it to be cloudy at all. Yes, there are some exceptions right. with, you with certain to, ones, but yeah. for the most part, you, you want that uh, beer to be clear, bright. Right. Um, so allowing the uh, anything to settle, mm-hmm. giving it time in the cellar. Right. There's usually an, uh, something fining, uh, you know, something to kind of draw all that yeast down to the bottom. Yeah, the fining, finings are... Uh depending on whether it's a natural or synthetic finding, will de- generally carry a different um, charge, mm-hmm. um, positive or negative charge, to the yeast itself. So when you add findings to a cask, we used to do it at Young's at racking in the brewery, um, and then the, the yeast will bind to the findings, and the weight of that just naturally allow, allowing the gravity to settle out the, the, the yeast and the findings kind of Altogether. So from a bar manager perspective, that equals money. Because when you have a cask or a keg arrive, mm-hmm. you immediately have to store it somewhere. And that right. space is money just sitting there. That's a big <laughs> issue. So the pubs in, in Britain had cellars designed um, mm-hmm. for the purpose. And, you know, and, and those cellars were temperature controlled. Um, and that became a problem for when light lager first came into Britain in the 50s. Um, continental light lagers because the, the cellars were kept say at 55 mm-hmm. the natural final fermentation temperature for a cast beer um, and they wanted to serve them colder so we had to put flash chillers into the pubs 
and and that you know that was an added expense at that point to be able to serve light lagers at a continental lagers at a colder temperature. So you have the you have the cask in in the bar. It needs to settle. It mm-hmm. needs to get to temperature. Right. Um, so like you well, said, fifty five degrees is the it ideal. It also needs to finish conditioning. Exactly. In in practice or in theory, you know the the beer will be given some time in the brewery to rest, say three to five days, where some of that fermentation will start. You might even get uh, an initial bright you know process going on where the yeast is binding to the findings. But then it's going to get mixed up again when it goes, when it is transported. Mm-hmm. So the idea is to have sufficient storage in a pub so that um, casks have a chance to condition and the beer has a chance to reach its final optimal condition, both in terms of the amount of CO2 that's generated and also the flavor. There's a lot of, a lot of things happen with flavor in secondary fermentation. Think about all the beers that you're now storing. You're now, oh, I'm going to buy that beer and hold on to it. There are pubs in Britain that will specifically buy a beer. They might buy Timothy Taylor's Landlord. And they are sort of have a process where they say, I'm going to store Landlord for two weeks mm-hmm. on still before I vent it, um, before I start the process of dispensing it. That's pretty tough in a London pub where there's, less space it's really hard in a new york pub or a dc pub to sort of say okay i'm going to bring this cask in and i'm going to store it for two weeks before i even touch it so it's a it's a challenge but that that's if we were going to attempt to do cask beer in the united states the way it's done in britain that's what we'd need to do that's probably not going to happen and that's why cask beer in america is more of a hybrid between brewery conditioned beer and cask-conditioned beer. I gotcha. Now, as far as the service itself, um, it is served through a beer engine. Um, Correct. And, and I'm, I'm sure some of you have seen this. Uh, it kind of looks like a little swan's neck. Um, and basically, you're pulling the beer mm-hmm. um, out of the cask itself, uh, you know, allowing it to be pushed up kind of with yep. air. Um, this exposes the beer to oxygen. So once it is tapped, mm-hmm. um, in an ideal world, you would, you know, sell through it in a couple of days. Correct. Um, and if somebody is pulling that beer, these are kind of long, slow pulls. You don't, you know, you, it, it takes some patience. So I think right. that this is another issue with having, you know, cask beer in the U.S. You have to have people properly trained on how to pull uh, right. a proper beer. Right. How, and again, it, in the U.S., we're not really trying to get these beers bright, mm-hmm. right? In the U.K., we might pull a couple of pints off of a cask um, in order to make sure we've pulled any yeast material through in those first few pints to, the, to where it's bright, right? We wouldn't serve it until it's bright. Yeah. Um, and then there could be some what we used to call bottoms uh, left at the bottom of the cask. So, again, you're not going to dis- be dispensing every last bit of liquid, every last bit of beer from that cask. So yeah, it's, there is a, an art and a science um, to, to being a good seller person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a challenge, again, in a vertically integrated structure you know, like Young's where you own the 200 pubs and you can properly train everyone. It's a, it's a challenge here. 
Now, for those of you who are just turning in, I am sitting down with Dan Kopman. He is the CEO of Heavy Seas uh, Beer out of Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, we're kind of taking a deep dive into cask beer, kind of going through the process itself as well as proper service. Uh, so you were talking, you mentioned that, you know, British uh, cask beer as well as American cask beer are kind of two different worlds. Yeah. Um, so can you dive into that a little bit more? Um, maybe kind of walk people through uh, what steps have been taken in the UK to kind of promote uh, cask beer? Yeah, and the the cask beer cask beer has been been around in uh, before there was brewery conditioned beer. Yeah, right? but there I'm I'm specifically uh, ref- referencing yeah. camera. So camera. So what happened um, in the 1950s and 60s in Britain was there was consolidation amongst breweries, and you ended up with five or six very large brewers. They and and they started building, you know, million plus barrel breweries. They recognized that if they could get a much more shelf-stable product to their pubs, they wouldn't have to undergo all the training. They wouldn't have the losses, etc. So they took their cast beers, reworked them from formulation all the way through the process, and turned them into keg beers. Watney's Red Barrel, Incoop, Double Diamond, mm-hmm. those are some of the, you know, Courage, Best Bitter. These became keg beers, uh, meaning... The entire process, primary and secondary fermentation, done in the brewery, beers kegged under pressure and then dispensed using CO2. The, the consumer in Britain was very upset about this in the sense of you were attacking a tradition in Britain. You were, you were attacking something that was centuries old and the, whole, and, and the pub gets involved in this. Mm-hmm. The whole idea of the pub and the publican and... You know, I'm an, I'm an expert sellerman. You don't, you can trust me with the beer, those kind of ideas. Yeah. And so there was a pushback. And breweries like Young's and Fuller's and Marston's at the time, Timothy Taylor's, and on and on and on, represented the, the sort of, they were at the coalface of that fight. And out of, that, out of their energy, uh, people like John Young at Young's, the chairman, who had joined the brewery out of the Air Force, out of the Royal Air Force after, in the 50s, he be, you know, it, it suited him to, to push this because he didn't have a brewery that could make keg beer. I gotcha. Right? Mm-hmm. He had a Cascale brewery that needed investment, but at the same time, he had all these pubs, these fantastic pubs in London. So he um, pushed this, and then a group of consumers, including uh, Michael Hardman, who was the PR person at Young's when I got there, were the founders of Camera and the campaign for real ale and it was think about it as a a movement to protect protect a historic landmark that mm-hmm. was cast beer something that was uniquely um english or uniquely british because um, scotland had a sort of different way of dealing with cast beer but it was uniquely english for sure and so they went on this mission to defeat keg beer and they won and that, that has been their, their biggest challenge over the past decade is that for a consumer movement like Camera, they, can, they declared victory. They should have just, in some, some ways, they should have said, we won, we're going to keep the pressure on. Um, but with the rise of what we would know as craft beer, mm-hmm. um, which is essentially keg beer, but 
more flavorful, more interesting, you know, not just kegged versions of Young Special and Fuller's London Pride. Um, it, it has become very challenging for some of the traditional real ale breweries to keep their, keep real ale interesting and fashionable. Um, the younger consumers in Britain are really interested in, in craft beer and the, the, the very progressive, really forward-thinking craft brewers don't want anything to do with real ale. So it's, and they will criticize keg lager, Heineken, Carlsberg, those mm-hmm. brands, but they don't criticize real ale, but they don't embrace it. So it's a very difficult place to be. Um, and, and in a way, some of those older brewers, like we were talking about, how do you reinvent Timothy Taylor's to be for landlord to be at the top of a list for a 21 year old drinker in London. And my answer to that was you don't. <laughs> yeah, you, you probably don't. Um, yeah. But if you're, if you're that brewer, you've got to be thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And probably what you need to do is double down on getting consumer, telling consumers about your history and why you do things your way and how flavorful and wonderful cast beer can be as opposed to a very highly hopped, very bitter craft beer. So that's really the challenge. So we are going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back uh, with Cask Ale. Welcome back to Beer Me, recording live at the Line Hotel and Full Service Radio. Uh, I'm sitting down today with Dan Cotman. He is the CEO of Heavy Seas Beer out of Baltimore, Maryland. So we're just kind of going through a really deep dive on cask beer today. Uh, and we're kind of going through the big differences between uh, British cask ale and American cask ale. And, and Dan, you had mentioned that it's it's kind of a it's a really different process right. uh, in the production stages. So can you dive into that a little more? Yeah, I think the main the main aspect is, and when we talk about it, you'll understand why. For cask ale to be successful in the United States, we're going to have to create a hybrid version of that, and we're going to have to embrace that and and talk about that as opposed to what British cask beer is. So. When you're producing cast beer in Britain, you want that beer ultimately to be bright. So in order to do that, the recipe itself is different. Um, a lot of American craft beers are all malt beers. Um, malt contains a fair amount of protein. That is challenging. Protein causes haze. And so depending on the, the fermentation and serving temperatures, that becomes very challenging. So for brewers listening out there, if you want to make authentic cask condition beer in the British sense, the fermentation temperature can never go below the serving temperature. 
okay? So what that means is, is that, and, and also when you're looking at your recipe formulation, you're probably going to use some invert sugar or some other, some other very clean fermenting sugar source mm -hmm. besides, besides malted barley. That's sort of the first thing. Second thing is then when you go into fermentation, that primary fermentation is going to be just like your brewery-conditioned top fermented beers using either a British ale yeast or an American ale yeast. It's going to be in the 50s, right? Yeah. But in, a, in, a tr in a, an American craft brewer, we crash cool those beers to pull out the protein mm. in, at the time of secondary fermentation. So we drop the temperature into the 30s. So essentially, we pull out a lot of that protein in a, in a cold break in the secondary fermentation process. In Britain, we never would let the temperature of the fermenter drop below, call it 50 to 55. So we're going to do the primary fermentation at about 50 to 55, maybe even a little higher. Um, at most, we're going to cool it down to 50. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're going to rack it. Um, we're gonna, we might, may go into a tank. Um, use some sort of protein finding to, to take out some of the protein, but then we're going to rack it straight into cask. And for those who are not very familiar, rack is transfer. Yes. Okay. We're going to transfer the beer from uh, a fermenter um, directly, probably through uh, another vessel mm -hmm. where, we might, um, where we might do a protein uh, finding, but then we're going to go straight to cask um, and add findings at that point that are going to do that that natural settling out process um, to produce a very clear to produce a very bright pint. Okay, exactly um, because that traditional real that camera member, <laughs> that card carrying camera <laughs> member, um, they're very uh, you know they're they're stereotyped in Britain just like maybe the craft beer drinker in America with their untapped app and. Uh, I don't know if they have the untapped app, okay. but they definitely have... I'm just speaking of the stereotype right, of the craft right. beer drinker. They, they, might, they might look like they've had a few pints, and okay. they'll definitely have a beard, mm -hmm. uh, generally speaking. And uh, they may also have those little round NHS glasses. Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Whether they need the eyeglasses or not, um, they might have that. But that's your, <laughs> your typical-looking camera member from the 1980s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Nice. Um, and they're absolutely passionate um, about the tradition of the pub and the tradition of cast beer. And they're, they're very passionate about other things that, are, that you think about as quintessentially English or British. They don't like a lot of change, um, and so that change is hard, you know. <laughs> it's it, it's like I was talking to one once who is furious. Mm -hmm. um, well, they're furious about building a new runway at Terminal Five at Heathrow because because it's going to take up a bunch of green space. So they want to. They're very protective of green space in Britain because there's so little of it mm -hmm. um, to begin with. So yes, and referring to London Luton, referring to an airport in Luton as London is. They have a problem with that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not, that's, that's not near London. That's Luton. So things like that. But so we're not going to be able to do that in the U.S. Um, most cast beer that's, that is available in the U.S., the beer is brewed as a brewery-conditioned beer because they're not going to take that entire batch of beer mm -hmm. and put it into cask. Why so, not? Because of the volume. Okay. There just isn't enough demand. Um, can for, they do part 
And I'm, I'm, I'm right. asking. So here's the problem who, with part, yeah. right? So the recipe is going to be different. We're going to make an all malt beer, mm-hmm. right? We're going to, um, the, the mash, the, the mashing and even the, the boiling is going to be a little bit different. Um, and then once you're into fermentation in a, in a brewery conditioned environment, you want to get that temperature down, right? So the temperature is going to drop below the normal, uh, serving temperature for cast beer that's going to affect the flavor that's going to change the flavor that's why uh if you took a cast beer like young special or fuller's london pride and you serve it as a cast beer or the flavor of that is going to be dramatically different from the brewery conditioned version the brewery conditioned version will need a higher hopping rate to get the same amount of flavor You've got a lot more CO2, so you're going to have a higher hopping rate um, for a higher bitterness level to just get that same degree of flavor. You have a much higher CO2 level, so that whole softness that you get in craft in, in, in cask beer, you're not going to get that in a keg beer. So again, that's part of the reason that as we developed American craft beer, so I moved from Young's producing cask beer mm-hmm. to start a brewery in St. Louis, um, Schlafly. And uh. we, our first beer was pale ale, was young special, the mm-hmm. young special recipe. And we were going to, we couldn't distribute that as a cast beer. I mean, St. Louis was the last place on the planet that had any desire for cast beer from a pub standpoint. And so we had to produce a keg version of that beer. We upped the hopping rate to get what I perceive to be the same degree of flavor, hop flavor in the beer. So everything's going to be different from the from the outset, from the, gr- from the formula of the grist to the hop rates all the way through. Um, and again, we're going to crash cool that beer in the brewery. So what we try and do in craft breweries to get cast beer is we wait for the end of primary fermentation. And you can roughly, you can identify that, but in some ways you would have to be watching that beer every second of every moment as it nears the end of theoretical, the end of primary mm-hmm. going into secondary pretty hard to get that the same every time I mean we can take a gravity of the beer and that'll tell us um, how much sugar is still remaining we can take a yeast count that'll tell us how much yeast is still remaining Mm -hmm. we can do that and we can adjust possible priming and other things that go into production of that cask beer we also have to try and do that cleanly in a couple of casks to avoid any infection and and aeration like you were talking about we're going to introduce potentially if we're just running a hose off the the side of a tank to to draw that into a cask we have the potential to introduce air at that point that's not a good thing so again it's complex it's it's troublesome so what we're gonna do in so that's that's cask beer sort of as it sits right now in america generally Mm -hmm. some of it can be very good some of it can honestly be I don't know. How do you describe very bad? You just say very bad. That's very okay. bad. <laughs> Crap. You know, I mean, disappointing, so, disappointing. <laughs> Some of it, you know, it's going it, to, it could be under condition. There might not be enough sugar present. Um, so you end up with no conditioning in the beer, no fizz, no CO2. Um, so that you can end up with a broad spectrum of, from a quality standpoint and a consistency standpoint. So one of the things we'll be working on, so we've just, uh, for the first time, and this is at heavy seas. at heavy seas okay. now. We've um, purchased and installed a small brew house. Mm-hmm. So 
as opposed to say we're making a batch of loose cannon IPA. We now, we haven't done this yet, um, working with a, another local brewer, um, sort of talking this project through um, here in the DC area, the folks at uh, Blue Jacket. Oh, nice. um, I mean, we're, so I've spent time talking to them about how cast beer would be produced mm-hmm. if we wanted to produce entire batches of just cast beer. But that's going to be, that's a, a, if we're racking that into nine gallon casks, mm-hmm. otherwise known as a firkin, um, or even 11s or 18s, you know, d- different sizes, um, that's going to be a lot even for, for a bar like Church Key, for example, to go through. Um, so we got to sort of explore how to do that. Um, you know, you go into your standard British pub and there's two or three cast beers, a couple continental lagers, maybe, a, you know, there's six, seven, eight, nine beers on, ca- on tap, mm-hmm. uh, on draft. You know, go into the, you know, if, if you have a cast, uh, just a nine gallon, uh, that's UK uh, firkin mm-hmm. size cask. But you know, in the US, of, of, it's what? 10.8 yes so yeah. so nine nine uk gallons 10.8 yeah. american um, yes u.s um so they're you know they're in the in the vernacular of cast beer there's pins mm-hmm. four and a half uk um nines um 18s kildekin and then full barrels 36 uk gallons which would be like 42 u.s gallons that's a lot of beer for a pub with 50 taps of cask or of craft beer to yeah. go through in a couple of days. No, and I remember that it was it it was harder to sell. Um, you know, the only times that you know cask beer was really really easy to sell was when it was something out of the UK mm-hmm. that the bartenders got very passionate about, right. or when it was something like you know I, I remember we'd do I think it was the loose cannon and it'd be with different right. hop additives. Yep, and we still do that. Yeah, yep. so it's you know you have five five cask engines uh, or beer engines and so you know you'd have five different hop additives so you could kind right. of taste the difference and, and that was the easiest way <laughs> so we're doing that for Snallygaster. okay so we'll serve i think we're going to do not just loose cannon but we're going to do cast versions of american as well and 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 possibly even double cannon so and these are big beers mm-hmm. from an abv standpoint for cask uh, um, but we'll then do um, some secondary hopping in the cask that'll differentiate one cask from another. Um, but ultimately, what we want to get to is producing an entire batch of just cask beer so that we can see the difference between doing it that way um, and the way we're doing it and learn from that and then ultimately replicate um, or create a process that we feel really good about um, that we can do consistently and then really take a measure of where the cask market is in the United States. It's, it doesn't, there is really no cask ale market in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, are what I would call cask ale features. Um, yeah. And, you know, in our expanded tap room um, at the brewery, we're going to, um, once, once we get that work done, um, you know, we'll do more cask beer. But there's so much demand for other beers that are going to, that are going to excite consumers that we want to be producing as well. So it's going to, it is not quite honestly at the top of the list right now for beers coming out of that small brew house. Um, the brewer, our brewing team, that younger brewing team, they want to, they want to, you know, I've asked them to say just what if, 
and think about beer today. I, that's the, the modern American beer market is what if. What if I do this? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if beer can be blue and full of glitter, then beer can be full, blue and full of glitter. And it's a little, at, at my age and in tr- initial training, mm-hmm. I just have to embrace that and say, that's okay. Yeah. Um, and then spend some, you know, spend time, you know, then just remind them that if they're going to be great brewers, it's, it's sort of like a, the way I think about it is <clears throat> great chefs don't, don't start by putting foam on a plate, right? No. Right? No. I remember, you know, when I first started culinary school, like molecular gastronomy was at its height. Right. And I remember, you know, we have a very, the Culinary Institute of America, we, we had a very weird dorm life where it was very common to see somebody, you know, playing around with, you know, uh, a lot of different chemicals, making right. different gels and doing different right. things in their dorm room. Um, that's and awesome. It's, it was very cool. I didn't realize how spoiled I was till <laughs> down the road. But, you know, these, in the same breath, those were also the days where you go into class every single day and you're making chicken broth and that's it. Yeah. That's all you're making, yeah. you know, and you're perfecting a, a knife cut and you're, right. you're breaking down chickens and right. that's it. That's all right. you're doing. Poaching an egg. Yeah. How to, how to properly make hollandaise again. Right. And hollandaise. Again, yes, and that's and the again, classic, again, again, again. isn't it? Um, but that's what, you know, that's what you do before you yeah. kind of get into the more, you know, I didn't, you don't, you don't play with the right. really fun things until and that, the years that, down the road. That has to be the approach mm-hmm. to brewing. Um, if we're going to not only create a long-term market that's vibrant, but is also based on quality, right? The, the innovation's fantastic, right? The innovation in America is amazing. But is it, does it, is it, where's the foundation for it, right? Yeah. Is, is the foundation based on quality? Can that brewer make a pills? Can that brewer make a pale ale? And if they can't, then it's sort of the same thing. It's if you can't make hollandaise, yet you shouldn't be making foam. Yeah. All right. If you can't make a great classic English style pale cleanly, a pills cleanly, you've, you have no place making sour beers or whatever it is you, th- you as a brewer think you should be doing. We need to make sure that, we're, that the foundation for everyone working in breweries in America is there. Um, and part of this project to improve or create what we would call maybe down the road American cast beer mm-hmm. is, in my mind, that's part of that. Because that's a, that's a foundation. It's, 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 I can control a fermentation going on in a cask as well as I'm controlling the fermentation in my brewery. And that's part of the problem with cask beer. And, 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 in, and really, casks should not go into pubs that don't understand the basic concept that they're part of the production process. They're part of making that beer. And they have to take pride in that. And if they don't, Really, it's they're doing a disservice to us as brewers. So it's it's a hard one. It's a really tricky one. Well, thank you so much for coming by and chatting uh, yeah. this morning. Um, check out Heavy Seas beers. They're all over DC. Um, the pub in uh, in Arlington is fantastic, but I would definitely recommend a trip up to the brewery. Right. The brewery's uh, going through a lot of uh, a lot of change, transformation. Mm-hmm. 
uh, new can line, um, the new pilot small brew house, um, and then we're slowly working through the renovations um, to the, the tap room itself. Um, and it's, it's a work in progress. So as, you, as people come to visit, mm-hmm. um, they'll be able to sort of follow, follow along with us as we sort of go through this adventure of trying to create um, a really new space for people uh, that celebrates the beers we're making. So it should be, it should be, it's going to be a fun, a fun next, uh, next decade um, at Heavy Seas. Yeah, it's pretty. And you guys are coming up on your 23rd anniversary in uh, December. So it's a, it's a great group of people, very passionate about making beer. And I think now becoming, finding our place Mm -hmm. um, as a 23 year old brewer, um, which is that we're grounded in the knowledge to make great beer, but we're, we're fearless when it comes to innovation at this point. Um, it's what if. Um, one of our younger brewers came up with the craziest idea, which we executed over the weekend just as a test. It was an IPA bar. Mm-hmm. So we made a base IPA, and then we made four others, and people were able to blend the different IPAs at the bar. Oh, that is yeah. very cool. It was very fun. And uh, we're going to do that again mm-hmm. um, coming up here uh, probably before the end of September. All right. And again, somebody like, you know, 57-year-old like me, I'm never coming up with that idea. Um, but a 20-something-year-old, that's where the ideas are. And that's what's ex- it, it's exciting for me to be working with um, the next generation. Um, mm-hmm. It makes me feel very positive about the future of America, um, <laughs> that there's a, there are people like yourself um, and other younger uh, Americans that are really passionate about so many things and are going to build a, a, a much better place for all of us. It's going to be great. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, tune in next week uh, to Beer Me. Uh, I was lucky enough to cover the Aslan third year anniversary party uh, this past Saturday, which was a great success, really great turnout. Uh, so I'll have some coverage for that next week. Thank you all so much. Uh, this is Beer Me on Full Service Radio, recording live at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.